This episode is brought to you by Canva. When your work looks good, you look good. So create all the stunning presentations, docs, whiteboards, and videos you need with Canva. Start with one of the designer-made templates or jump ahead with the power of AI. It's a real time saver and anybody can use it. Whatever department you work in, whatever you need, Canva will help you get it done and make it look fantastic. Start designing today at canva.com. Design for work. Tap the banner to learn more. Every minute, nearly 4 million searches are typed into Google. The results that pop up influence what we read, where we shop, even how we understand the world. And because of that power, a lot of people, most notably lawmakers, want to know more about how Google search works. In congressional testimony, CEO Sundar Pichai has said that Google search is based on computer algorithms and not human intervention. It's not possible for an individual employee or groups of employees to manipulate our search results. You know, we have a robust framework, including many steps in the process. We don't manually intervene on any particular search result. A year ago, a team of reporters at The Wall Street Journal set out to determine if what Sundar Pichai said, that Google doesn't interfere with search results, was true. And after more than 100 interviews, the reporters discovered a more complicated story. Today on the show, the story of Google search and the people manually shaping your results. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. And I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Thursday, January 2nd. Google search results are defined by a complex series of algorithms that take into account factors like your location and how popular a website is. But it's not just algorithms. Here's our colleague, Kirsten Grind. Behind the scenes every day, Google is making all these decisions that we're just not aware of at all. And so what's being delivered when you type in a search result is not what it seems. One example of the people who influence Google search, beyond just the engineers who write the code, is Zach Langley. Hello. Hello, Zach. This is me. He lives in New Orleans. And a couple of years ago, Zach worked for a company that had a contract with Google. I was a search engine evaluator. And what does that mean exactly? You know, I'm in the comfort of my home. I'm probably in my pajamas. And... I would hop on the computer where we'd have like a login screen. Raider Hub is what it was called. And you just put in your email, password, or whatever. Once Zach logged onto Raider Hub, he would see a list of terms people had Googled and the results they got. Then on a sliding scale, he would give Google a grade on how good the results were. Zach did this hundreds of times. There's me and other workers, and we're influencing the results that you're going to get back. I just had no idea that a young man in New Orleans being paid $13.50 an hour could in any way affect search results. I really just thought it was computer code and maybe some engineers in Silicon Valley. That's Kirsten again. She covers technology. And for the last year, she's been talking to people like Zach, digging into how Google search works today and how it worked in the beginning. 
back in 1998, when Google Search was just being launched, its founders, Sergey Brin and Larry Page, had a certain philosophy about search. They wanted to create a search engine that was going to be objective and would rank things in the order that the algorithm delivered. The main algorithm that they invented in the 90s was called PageRank. PageRank figured out a way not just to find information for you on the internet, but how to rank it in a way that would actually make it really useful for you. How did PageRank work? So it basically worked in that it would look at how many other sites were linking to your site. So, for example, if, like, the Wall Street Journal wrote a story and we linked to your blog, whatever it may be, hopefully it was a good blog, that would rank it higher in PageRank. And so that is what they really clung to for the first few years of founding Google, that really everything should be delivered by PageRank and the other algorithms in search, and that this is what the users were going to see and nothing else. The engineers and certainly not the founders were going to get involved at all. They were just basically standing there and the computer was delivering information. They were sort of purists about it. A hundred percent, yes. They were total purists. <laughs> they just didn't think that people should get involved because that would provide the most unbiased experience. This founding philosophy, an unbiased experience on Google Search, is still how the company says Google Search works. Google executives have said the algorithms are objective and essentially autonomous, unsullied by human biases or business considerations. But soon after Google launched its search engine, it became clear there were problems, mainly because there was an easy way to game the PageRank algorithm. Companies figured out that if you got a bunch of other sites to link to you, then you would rise higher in search. And so two things happened. Some websites would just create fake content, basically. They found out that if you Googled how to tie a shoelace, if they wrote in some content on their website how to tie a shoelace, that might get ranked <laughs> higher. Or per the page rank ranking, if they paid other sites to link to them, then they would also rank higher. So they were using all these tricks to game the system. And that was starting to really overwhelm search results to the point where a user might Google something and just get a bunch of these like awful spammy links that took them nowhere. And so at some stage, it became apparent that the algorithms were not necessarily keeping up and they were kind of drowning in spam. So what did they do about it? They started doing this thing called manual actions. That's when they would actually go in and either lower the ranking of a certain site or really just remove it altogether if it was violating Google's rules. They were making these manual actions at a small scale on a case-by-case -case basis. But that also wasn't enough, and they needed to take some widespread action. But Sergey especially was a very big search purist, and he didn't want to take any action, even if it meant, 
you know, leaving up some of these bad results for people. Some of these bad results that the founders were comfortable keeping had personal implications. Sergey Brin is Jewish, and his parents are Jewish refugees from Russia. And he personally decided to allow users to see anti-Semitic results when they Googled the word Jew. They just truly believed in these algorithms. I mean, I have never heard anyone at companies be so in love with something as much as Google employees are in love with their algorithms. They really believe that this is what should be driving search results. But it was kind of ruining the business. That was because their hands-off approach was leading to lower quality search results, which threatened Google's business. And so there was a split between the two Google co-founders. Larry, I mean, he also was not keen to intervene in search results. But Larry saw that they could start to lose market share to one of these other competitors. This was an era where Google was still fighting seriously against other competitors. And so there was a real chance that users would start using another search engine. And so in the bathroom one day, Larry pulled this gentleman, Ben Gomes, who was heading up this effort to try and fight spam search results. And he said, just do what you need to do. Sergey is going to ruin this effing company. In the bathroom. In the bathroom, yes. <laughs> A source told me that story, and I was floored because it just perfectly epitomizes the battles that would kind of happen internally over search. Sergey Brin, Larry Page, and Ben Gomes declined to comment about that conversation in the bathroom and their disagreement over how to fight spam. But sources told Kirsten that after Larry Page gave the directive to fight bad search results, the company launched an offensive against spam. The thing that really happened, though, was kind of this, like, slow mind shift change where suddenly it was like they were more willing to take these manual actions, so to intervene more regularly against spam sites. Sources told Kirsten that the company also revised its algorithms to fight spam. And this policy of more regular intervention delivered better results. In many ways, these changes helped get Google to where it is today, the number one search engine in America. Unlike the original PageRank algorithm, these results are actually a lot more subjective than you think they are. They're not autonomous. They're not just standing alone from a computer. They're people's opinions. And some of the people who are giving those opinions are the more than 10,000 contractors that Google uses to grade its search results. Google is taking a very complicated average, I'm calling it an average, but it's not one, of all the different evaluations, combining it all together, and then feeding it into the algorithms. So they're certainly affecting the algorithms. Those contractors don't just grade search results based on instinct. They grade searches based on editorial guidelines from Google. Google provides all these contractors with hundreds of pages of guidelines for how they should rank results. And then in real time, it will send them emails through the contracting company being like, no, we don't want you to choose this, choose that, like rank this higher, rank that higher. So 
they're actually giving their input to these people. At the same time, they're saying, give us your unbiased opinion. One guideline Google gives its contractors is to give good grades to search results that reflected the intent of the user. So, for instance, when Zach Langley, the guy we heard from earlier, was supposed to rate search results for the word Apple, he had to first figure out, is their intent to look for information about the company that makes iPhones or for information about, say, a Granny Smith? The majority of people are not searching for the fruit. The primary intent is to find information or products by Apple. Um, And from there, you say if the result fails to meet, somewhat meets, moderately meets in the middle, then highly meets, then fully meets. Every day, contractors like Zach are rating Google search results. Kirsten talked to a bunch of these people. You know, I had spoken to several evaluators, and some of these people are just sitting there clicking like, yes, 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 no, 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 and don't think twice about it. But one day, Zach got a question that he did have to think twice about, a search result that involved an ethical decision of whether or not Google should satisfy the user's intent. The search was for, quote, best way to kill myself. As I'm working there, my responsibility is to satisfy the intent of the search. But obviously, when you look at that, if the intent is to find the best way to kill yourself, then the ethical problem there is, one, is that a good thing to do? No. And then the other thing is, is that actually your intent is to kill yourself if you're searching the best way to kill yourself. If you're searching that, you want help. And when I ranked the pages of the results, I would only say the one with the suicide hotline fully met. And I would justify my decision by saying the true intent is unexpressed, and that's to find help. So you're making this determination based on who you are as a human. It's almost like you're a psychologist evaluating this query. You have these moments where you realize someone's real relationship with Google, and it's a personal relationship. So when someone's searching that, um, there's a sense of maybe intrusion. There's also a sense of responsibility. The suicide hotline is now the top search result when you look up anything related to suicide. And that's at least in part because of the thousands of raters who make editorial decisions. In fact, Zach says Google later sent a note updating its guidelines so that evaluators rank suicide prevention as the highest search result when a user looks up suicide. There's a presumption that it's all algorithmic. And then that algorithms can't be biased. So it's kind of like a Wizard of Oz moment where we're the ones behind the curtain and we're in our pajamas. It's not just contractors affecting what we see on Google search. There are also major decisions made inside the company to tip the scales. That's after the break. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Workday. 
Get the whole band together with Workday and pair finance and HR on one platform for an epic performance. With Workday AI at the core, you'll make confident decisions faster than ever, and you'll drive flawless business and finance operations with an agile platform that constantly evolves to future-proof your organization. Be a finance and HR rockstar with Workday. Visit Workday.com to learn more. Welcome back. Google has long said that employees cannot directly influence search results. But in her year of reporting, Kirsten found examples of Google making editorial changes. Sources told her about one particular case in 2015. Some Google employees pointed out on a message board that if you Googled, how do vaccines cause autism, it came up with some sites urging you not to get vaccinations for your kids. And so Google employees complained about this because they didn't think that Google should be propagating that misinformation. So Google changed the result, and instead, the first result to this day is a website that says very clearly and in strong language that They effing don't in big black letters. (laughs) (laughs) They effing don't. That is what came up after the Google employees internally complained about the anti-vax sites coming up. But it's not just internal complaints that have led to editorial changes in Google search results. Sometimes Google changes its search results after efforts by people outside the company. One example we looked at was the pro-choice group Narrow, and they were very upset with Google for showing results for what's called crisis pregnancy centers. These are centers that claim that they're going to counsel you about abortion and then actually try and talk you out of it, but they're not clear about that. So Narrow lobbied Google to remove these results. You know, we don't know for sure if they made an algorithm change, but the journal, we did a lot of testing on Google search results, and we ended up finding that in Google search, 39% of the results on the front page of search for abortion went to Planned Parenthood, where that percentage was much lower on other search engines So maybe they did decide that they should be favoring sites like Planned Parenthood over other sites. Google said it has no specific search rankings to promote Planned Parenthood. And generally, Google says it doesn't make changes in organic search. But Wall Street Journal reporters came across several examples where there were changes made to search results after lobbying by outside groups like Narrow. A lot of the times what happens, what we found, is that after a group has lobbied for whatever reason, suddenly there is a change to search that wasn't announced or Google definitely didn't talk about it because it wants to maintain this shroud of secrecy around the algorithm changes that it makes. Google could be maintaining secrecy over its algorithm for all kinds of reasons. It doesn't want spammers figuring out how to get websites ranked higher. It doesn't want competitors to know its trade secrets. And also because of increased scrutiny from the U.S. government. Lawmakers are starting to want clarity on how Google's products work. 
regulators are delving super deeply into whether or not Google has acted in an anti-competitive manner. A lot of it is related to search and what Google chooses to surface over others. So how it makes these decisions behind the scenes is hugely important and sure to be getting a lot of scrutiny because of that. How do you think these investigations could rein in Google's power and influence? Right now, Google basically has no oversight over how they're making these decisions, how the algorithms operate. They haven't let any third parties come in and kind of look at some of that decision making. So they could potentially get more regulation, right? That could be a big thing for Google if there's some overseeing body that suddenly comes in and they have to explain some of these decisions. Google is in a bit of a catch-22. The company knows the more it explains the search algorithm, the more it's opening itself up to regulation. But it's also clear that if the company remains secretive, lawmakers are going to keep asking for more information. They've had to keep making more and more of these decisions outside the algorithm, but it's very dangerous for them to admit that because if they admit it, that's exactly what regulators want to know about, right? They want to know, like, how are you making these decisions? Why are you making them? Are you favoring some businesses over others? Are you favoring some publications over others? What are you doing? And so... It might seem obvious or even, like, easy for Google to say, yes, like, we have had to sit around and struggle with what to show you on abortion and vaccines, but they just won't do that. In response to the Wall Street Journal's reporting, Google has said what they're doing now is what they've been doing all along, giving relevant search results from the most reliable sources available online. They're not completely wrong about that. What we found here is for the most part, they have been guided by that mission. It's just the mission has gotten more challenging. That's all for today, Thursday, January 2nd. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Special thanks to Sam Schechner, Bob McMillan, and John West for their reporting on this story. If you like the show, follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We're out every weekday afternoon. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.